All right, hello collaborators and welcome back to what is and what could be with Michael Clark Architect. As always, I want to express my gratitude and thank you all for taking the time out of your day to lend me your ears. For the next 30 minutes or so in this podcast series where we talk through the experience of collaborating with architects and the realization of architectural projects. We also discuss the thinking behind the design of spaces and places. And we are today at episode 10. Brief pause to celebrate. My trusted podcast advisors tell me that most podcasts don't get past episode 10. And whilst this is a great thing, they also tell me that it's not until episode 50 that you're considered a real podcaster. So I'm not gonna pause for very long. I wanna say thank you to everyone that's listened to date. Thank you to the guests that I've had so far. I look forward to continuing this discussion and celebrating again at episode 50, episode 100, and who knows? Until then, let's focus on what we're gonna discuss in episode 10. Tender documentation building shell continued. So where are we at in the overall evolution of a project? We've received development application approval, and now we want the builder to build. For the builder to build, the builder needs to give us a price that we need to accept. In order to do that, we need to define the design in detail so they understand what we want them to build. And that is where we're at. So we're developing the design as described in the development application via the meaning, the communication we use, the language we use, which is drawings, specification, schedules, input from other design team members, consultants, etc. Packaging that, giving it to the builder. Builder provides what's called a tender. A tender is a tender contract price, a fragile contract price. Because it's an offer not accepted, it's in that state. When we accept it, it becomes a contract price. We sign contracts and we move from there. Contract price means the cost of work plus GST. To get there, we need to document and develop the design. And I said last episode, we're gonna break that discussion into building shell versus building fit out. Building shell is as it sounds. The roof, the external walls, external windows, doors, the external cladding, the overall structure, the internal face of the external walls, the floor structure, roof structure, etc. Even in many cases, the internal walls, because they might be structural, they might need to define the overall space. When compared to building fit out, which are things that can come and go without it being at the expense of the building shell, like kitchen, fixtures, finishes, bathroom the same, bedroom, robes, office furniture, what we call joinery, which some might think of as cabinetry, they're all components relating to the fit out. And when I started to think about this episode and focus on what I'd be talking about for building fit out, I thought to myself, no, I haven't done building shell enough justice. So I wanna talk a little bit more about tender documentation, design development, design focused studies, 
during tender documentation for the building shell as we move into the fit out. And I'm gonna discuss an element that some might say could be described as building shell and building fit out. I'm going to discuss a portion of the ceiling to a particular space at the Bondi Beach house, a ceiling. And I love that I'm talking about a ceiling. This part of the project is very special to me and the client and the building, uh, the builder and others on the team. And I'll go into that a little bit later. But I love that I'm talking about this because some people might say it's just a ceiling. And as I said in a previous episode, architects design, give life to everyday experiences. The experience of being in a room involves floor, seeing the floor, utilizing the floor, finishing the floor. When you have a floor, you have a ceiling. And whilst you need to put stuff on the floor, chairs, furniture, etc., chairs, furniture, chairs, joinery and the like, cabinetry, fixtures, fittings on the ceiling, less so. So it's an important element that adds to or could detract from the quality, the experience of the overall space. So I'm going to talk about a ceiling and I'm going to break it down like this. I'm going to talk about what it is. I'm going to talk about what the client vision, in this case, the developed client vision was. In response to this ceiling, I'm going to talk about what it does and how what it does, how as an instrument, it responds to client vision. And then I'm gonna talk about one last point, one interesting component to the design development of the details for this ceiling. And remember, we're focusing on the idea of tender documentation being design, design development, focused design. That's the way I work, that's the way many of my colleagues work. In lieu of the previous stages where we're looking at broad brush ideas and relationship between big areas, rooms, outside, inside, overall mass. Now we're looking at details. And when I say details, I mean how elements turn the corner, how a ceiling meets a wall, how a floor meets a wall, how a wall meets a window, how we detail what's called an external corner, which could be inside the house or outside the house. And same with what we call an internal corner, how different materials meet, etc etc detailing is are those components and it's a design exercise so we're talking about what your architect and the design team are developing design wise during this phase so let's get into it first of all what it is well it's a semi-detached house and I've mentioned this project before, I've mentioned semi-detached projects before, I've mentioned attached projects before, but let's revisit it. Semi-detached means that you have a side boundary that has a wall on it, and that wall is shared with your neighbor. So in this case, you're walking down the corridor of this project, if you were to punch a hole in the wall, you would see into the neighbor's living room. It's a shared wall. We call it a party wall. That's the attached component of the property. 4.7 meters to the left or right of this, depending on which way you're facing. So the other side, we have a non-detached wall. We have an external wall that doesn't attach the adjoining property, 
doesn't sit on the boundary. Between that wall and the boundary, in this case is about a gap of 800, 900 mil, closer to 900. Some of the existing is a little bit less, but it's a gap, it's a passageway, it's an external corridor that provides access from the front of the house to the rear of the house, external part of the house. So you can get external access without having to go through the house. Then you have the boundary and on that boundary, we have a retaining wall. On top of that retaining wall, we have a fence. That retaining wall is about a meter or so high because the neighbor's ground level is up higher than us. Then we have a 1.8 meter fence. On the other side of that, we have another passageway before we have a two and in some cases, three story apartment building next door. That's the sides of this property. To the front, there's about six meters between the front of the house and the front boundary, enough for a car space. And to the rear, which is 20 meters from the front of the house, so that's how long the footprint of the house is, we've got another 20 meters of rear yard before the boundary, the rear boundary. So that's what it is, a semi-detached house in Bondi Beach. And we're talking about the ceiling to the last about four meters of this space. In fact, yeah, four meters, 4.3 meters, sorry. I'm looking on screen to make sure I got my facts correct. And it's a combined kitchen, dining, living space, which means it's open plan. And this space is about 4.7 by nearly 11. So close to around 50 meters squared. And to give you a comparison, the apartment design guide says that the minimum, not the ideal, certainly not the maximum, the minimum size for a studio apartment in New South Wales, Australia is 50 meters squared. That's a studio apartment. So it's an apartment that has the bed in the open plan and a bath laundry somewhere. This is kitchen dining living. So no bed area, no bath area. So to give you a sense of scale. So that's what it is. Kitchen, dining, living, ceiling within this space, a semi-detached house. So now let's talk about client vision. What was the client vision? Now, important to note that when I say client vision, I mean the developed client vision, the developed brief. And I might've put things forward and said, what about this as an idea? What about this as a vision? So sometimes when you're getting to the developed stage, you're putting things forward for consideration prior to the client even saying that that may or may not be an option. So what happens is we're talking about the general broad brush vision, the relationship of rooms to rooms, room to outside, overall massing volume scale. And then we start to hone in and say, okay, now that we know that, or now that we see that's an option, or now we see that's a direction we're going, let's talk about the ceiling. So, Client vision for this aspect. One, want it to be as big as possible. Want the room to feel as big as possible. And so the ceiling needs to complement that vision. The design response to the ceiling needs to make sure that it's responding to this idea, the space feeling as big as possible. And why? The nature of semi-detached houses is that they can be quite cramped, feel quite pokey. 20 meter long footprint, 4.7 meters in this case, but I've seen some semi-detached houses or attached houses that are much less than that, closer to three, three and a half. And to give you a sense of scale, the minimum size for an apartment bedroom under the apartment design guide is three meters clear in both directions. That's clear, clear. 
excluding a robe, three by three. So if I was to tell you that there was a semi-detached project you were about to work on that was three neat, and I have some colleagues that tell me they know of some that are less in certain very older areas of certainly Sydney, then you can appreciate that small. In this case, it's 4.7 meters, but we want to do whatever we can to make it feel as big as possible. The second client vision is we want to add a sense of calm. And I have to say that in regards to as big as possible and a sense of calm, I'm not professing to be revolutionary here. Nor am I saying that my client is. These are things that many architects aspire to or are responding to because of vision given to them from many clients. It's not uncommon for a client to say, I want this space to feel as big as possible and I want to add a sense of calm. I'm focusing on how we have responded in this case to these ideas. So a sense of calm and why? Well, our houses are a place of sanctuary, a place of retreat, a place of respite in our busy lives. I have a dear friend who started her podcast at a similar time to me. And she recently made a point in an episode about how busy we all are. And at the time I was stuck in traffic thinking, yes, we're all so busy trying to stay on top of things, particularly communication, because communication is just so rapid at the moment and varied from email to WhatsApp to Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, text messaging. And that's in normal circles. I have some aspects of my working life I I teach and the communication in those areas, in those institutions is different again. So you could say busy, you could also replace that with distracted. You could add on top of that, you know, the complications of commuting, of staying on top of the requirements in your family and your social life, whatever extracurricular activities that there are, we're all so busy. So our house, the place we come home to after commuting, after working, after dealing with all those things should offer a sense of respite, a place to retreat, even more so I would say, if you're working from home. You want the opportunity to say, this is where I'm working and close that off to some other aspect of the house where you're not working. So a sense of calm. Whatever that means. How do we do that is a question, but we want to have a sense of calm. Now we're getting into more specific parts. Flexible artwork storage was another client vision. Now you might say, oh, just having artwork on walls isn't too hard. You put on some 3M hanging hooks or you nail into stud work or brickwork and you hang, you go for it. The key is flexible. The client was a painter, sorry, is a painter, and wants to be able to display their work on a rotating basis, much like, you know, a little gallery. So it's the flexible arrangement of that artwork that's key to the vision. And the last aspect is they wanted a softer feel to the house than their current house, which I actually worked on when I was at a different company. That house has a different history, has a different location, and therefore has a different focus, a different vision, a different response to vision. This house, it it features some raw components, express steel, feature brickwork. Here we wanted to have some more softer components. Those features were fantastic and correct, 
for that setting. This setting is different. All right, so as big as possible, a sense of calm, flexible artwork, and a softer feel than their current house, which is the last point I wanted to discuss. So now what it does, if the ceiling is an instrument, let's talk about how it is played or how it responds to these items. First of all, as big as possible. Well, the ceiling is as high as possible. Not uncommon for a combined kitchen dining living space. This is a strategy adopted by a lot of architects. We want the space, the ceiling to be as high as possible and we hold onto that for dear life. The taller it is, the bigger it feels. The taller it is, the taller windows and doors around it can be. So this is a strategy we adopt quite often. In this case, it's 2.87. That sounds quite specific. It might even have gone to 2.85 because of some discoveries on site. Anyway, that is governed by the existing first floor structure that we wanted to retain and extend the first floor. And part of the extension involves a balcony that has floor depth, concrete, drainage, etc. So 2.87 is the height that we adopted. And we were able to adopt it for the entire floor level and most of the floor level, except for under the stair. So we wanted it to be big as possible. And I have to add that one of the reasons we want to do this, particularly for these spaces, if you can't for the rest of the house, but certainly for the combined kitchen, dining, living spaces, that is the space where we spend the most hours, the most out of our waking life. You know, we sleep in a bedroom, we do other things in a bedroom for sure, but we cook, we eat, we watch, we read, we socialize, whatever it is that you do in a living space, that's where you're spending the most amount of your time and the most amount of your time with others, guests, dinner parties and the like. So it's a public space. Often we say it's a public space, not literally, it's not open to the public, but it is more public compared with the bedrooms that are occupied by, you know, one or two people at best. Whereas here you might have well in excess of one or two. Certainly these clients have some fantastic dinner parties and, and house parties. So we wanted to be able to accommodate a sense of scale that comes with that occupation. And that's another reason why we wanted the ceiling height to be high. Now to give you some context, 2.4 meters is the minimum ceiling height for what's called a habitable room under the Building Code of Australia. Building Code of Australia being a piece of legislation that speaks to safety requirements relating to the design for the benefit of the users of building. And it says 2.4 meter ceiling height. That's a minimum for habitable spaces. Habitable spaces are spaces where we spend a lot of continuous time, like a kitchen, dining, living, bedroom, study, compared with a corridor, bathroom, even if you're someone that likes to have long baths, stairway, storage space, garage. 2.4, that's the minimum. We're going almost half a meter above that. Ideally, we would have gone to three meters. 2.87 related to elements above, and we wanted to maintain that height, even for those portions of this room that didn't have elements above that were stopping us from going higher. We wanted to feel this combined space because we're trying to make it as big as possible and we're making it as big as possible by making it all seamless, all the same. So 2.4 under the Building Code of Australia, the apartment design guide says the minimum ceiling height for a living space is 2.6 meters in an apartment. 
that's in an apartment. So we're nearly 300 mil above that. So as big as possible, we're trying to make the ceiling height as tall as possible. That's in response to that vision. So next one, a sense of calm. How did we address the idea of providing a sense of calm? If you're in your car, if you're exercising, if you're outside, I encourage you to look up. I'm going to do it with you. I'm inside, so I can look up and see the sky. If you're inside, do that with me. Look up and see the sky and look up and see the ceiling. And compare the two. I have a situation where I'm looking outside and I can barely see any clouds. You know, this discussion of there's not a cloud in the sky and how that adds a sense of euphoria or delight or comfort. Joy, you know, they say that when you're depressed, look up and see if the weight of the world can be lifted off your shoulders. And in this case, it's because the sky is uninterrupted. You know, no cloud in the sky gives a sense of joy. It's a sunny, beautiful day. You know, the only variation in the sky is the amount of colors you're seeing against where the light source is. You know, we meditate at sunrise, we meditate at sunset, we have gatherings at sunrise and sunset, and it has this sense of vastness, of openness. Compared to the alternative on the ground, particularly urban centers and particularly inside urban centers where it's not that. It's more busy, it's more chaotic, and that has a place. But when you look up at the sky, you can get a sense of feeling released from that space. And I have this same relationship with the ocean. I'm a surfer, and I love seeing the vast qualities of the ocean. An ocean setting on an offshore day, a day when the wind is blowing from the land and holding up waves that are coming into shore, making them break longer so that you can ride longer, that is special to me. That excites me. I find it very hard to concentrate in certain settings when that's happening and I'm not amongst that. Maybe it's not in fact a sense of calm, but it's there's a rapport, there's a relationship. The alternative, when the surf is choppy and you see a lot of white horses, well, that troubles me. That doesn't relax me. The alternative relaxes me or gets me excited anyway. The uninterrupted sky relaxes me. When compared to a ceiling, so look up at your ceiling now, and I'm looking up at my ceiling now, and related to the sky, a strategy that architects like to adopt is to have as little on the ceiling as possible. Now, in this case, we had no downlights. Generally, I'm not a fan of downlights in residential projects. No exhaust grills, no other utilities like smoke detectors, air conditioning grills, supply, return air, nothing on the ceiling. Empty, fast, like the sky, clear sky. And that hovering above the head is an effort to maybe try and emulate some of those qualities of the ocean for me or qualities of the sky for me and, and many others. And so here, in response to the idea of adding a sense of calm, we wanted nothing on the ceiling. Nearly three meters above us, empty, clear, for the full extent of this area of the room, except for the last 800 mil on one side, the side facing the corridor. That section has a recessed spotlight, sorry, track light. 
within it are adjustable spotlights. Those spotlights fire focused light onto paintings that are on the wall. And to talk about this idea, looking a little bit at the other rooms and the space overall of adding a sense of calm and feeling as big as possible, the light is recessed into the ceiling. So you just see this black line against the ceiling and adjustable spots. You don't see a track surface mounted. You don't see a track suspended. And that track runs for the 20 meter length of the corridor, 10 meter length defined corridor and 10, 11 meter length corridor as part of what we call the circulation spine of the kitchen dining living space, continuous. That's the only light we have on this ceiling. The other side where there's a fireplace, we have pedestal lights on the floor that are feature lights that fire light up and wash the ceiling. So this is how we're trying to add a sense of calm. The ceiling's up high, we try to have as little on it. And now I'm leading into this idea of flexible artwork. So the artwork is highlighted by these lights. You walk down this corridor and you'll see artwork, 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 all the way to the end with spotlight firing onto that artwork. It will feel like an art gallery. Well, that's the intention anyway. An art gallery displaying the work produced by a client. What a great celebration. The track light is one aspect. To talk about the flexible artwork, and again, I'll revisit this. Is it groundbreaking to find a way to put artwork on a wall? Absolutely not. The trick is how to make it flexible. You put a 3M hook, stick it to a wall or fix a screw in and say, I'm gonna change that artwork. I'm gonna have a smaller piece that needs to be higher or move to the left, move to the right much, much harder with those alternatives. You know, it's not that it's impossible, but you have to rip it off, potentially patch that part of the wall, find a new location for it, etc., etc. That was not something we wanted to look at. Instead, we looked at the idea of a picture hanging rail. So imagine a extrusion, a lowercase h extrusion up into the ceiling. Before we do that, let's think about ceiling detailing, because this is tender documentation and talking about detailing. So I've got this H profile that we want to use. Now, other alternatives, and there are lots, might be I'm looking up at my ceiling now and I see a traditional cornice profile, a curved profile. That trims off the junction between ceiling and wall. And it's a very, very common way to detail the ceiling. But does it respond to these ideas of the space feeling as big as possible and having a sense of calm? So let's talk about as big as possible. It is defining, it's highlighting the junction. It's saying, look, there's a junction. An alternative to that, because let's say that that wasn't going to respond to this idea of making the space feel as big as possible, is what we call a shadow line, a Rondo shadow line P50, which is a very, very, very lazy S. In fact, it's an, an awkward S. Draw a horizontal line, that's longer than a vertical line after that and another vertical line, sorry, another horizontal line. And you get this profile that's about 50 long, 13 high, and then 10 long. And when you attach that to the end of the ceiling, it forms a gap, a 10 mil gap between ceiling and wall that is a shadow line. And that gives the impression that the ceiling is floating. But not only that, it only highlights the ceiling junction 
via a very subtle means when compared to the cornice detail. You look up and you're gonna see a 10 mil gap to the perimeter of the ceiling versus in the case of a cornice, something closer to 100 mil, maybe even more overall. But the P50, which we do have in some parts of the house, wouldn't have allowed for flexible artwork storage. So now let's go back to the lowercase h. The lowercase h goes up instead of a P50, instead of a cornice, to form, or traditional curved plaster cornice, to form the cornice trim detail. It sits at the junction between wall and ceiling. So because it's a lowercase h, the longer part of the h fixes into the wall, and then the other side, the ceiling butts up to. And because it's a H profile with these little tip hooks towards the bottom, you can get from the same people that manufacture this, hooks that you hook up into that extrusion and then stainless steel cable comes down and on the stainless steel cable, there's an adjustable clip that has a hook on it that allows you to position your artwork wherever you want, up, down, and wherever you want, left, right, on a rotating basis. And that's a design development that came during the tender documentation. We made a decision in response to all those items. Big as possible, ceiling high. Sense of calm, as little on it as possible. Flexible artwork, picture hanging rail as the cornice detail. Now the final point is a point that's quite close to my heart. I mean, all of it's close to my heart, but this is the part I wanted to spend a bit of time talking about. And it's in response to some external factors that are influencing this internal element. So the outside is influencing what's happening on the inside. So I'm gonna start from the glass sliding doors that provide access from this open space to the outside at the end of this rectangular plan. So those doors were originally up at 2.87. And then a ceiling profile ran back for about two and a half meters before a highlight window. And we have a highlight window at that point because we wanted to find a way to stagger the way light came deeper into the space. So you've got the sliding doors. In front of the sliding doors, you have an awning. But above the sliding doors, we have a small portion of roof. And below that, we have ceiling before a highlight window that provides light, particularly importantly, towards the dining kitchen area. North facing, fantastic light coming through, almost like a laser beam in some, at some times of the day. But we've got this ceiling below at 2.87, as I said, and we had this issue. After the doors, we've got an awning. We've got a cantilevered awning. And for 1.2 meters, that awning is solid. After that, we've got 1.8 meters of, um, open and in fact I tell a lie here I always kept saying this it's the other way around oh no 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 it's not it's 1.8 meter solid 1.2 meter open with a perimeter defined structure on the 1.2 meter sorry 1.8 meter component and that has adjustable fabric so 1.2 solid 1.8 open but defined perimeter and in the solid below it, we've got a saffit. A saffit is what we refer to, uh, or how we describe an external ceiling. You see them on awning, awnings, you see them on roof eaves, you see them on pergolas, saffit. 
and above the soffit we have a roof and the roof has drainage and the, the drainage is gutter, a box gutter. And we knew we needed that box gutter at the development application stage, but we weren't necessarily sure how much fall depth we needed, what kind of a sump we might need to look at, which is an additional depth to the gutter at certain points, and more importantly, what the structural design was going to be. So now at the tender documentation stage, we're getting input from our other design team members, structural engineer and the like, and we said the height of this feet, which inform the depth or the zone between roofing and soffit was too little for the structure to work. So instead of it sitting at 2.87 meters, we had to drop it. We had to drop it roughly 300 millimeters. And the question is, because we have to drop that and the awning, do we drop the ceiling height? Because we have to drop the doors so do we drop the ceiling height? And we said to ourselves, no, that will go against this vision of the space feeling as big as possible. So having the ceiling as tall as possible. So instead we drop the doors and then the external feet. But we wanted to keep the rest high. So now we've got a situation where we have doors, a height of 300 mil of vertical wall or bulkhead before the ceiling that runs for two and a half meters before it turns 90 degrees up to the louver, the glass louver. So the question is what to do with those corners. Now, remember I said that we wanted this project to have a softer feel than the previous project. And one of the things we thought is right, we're providing direct light through this glass louver and let's find ways to make the surfaces that it hit read softer, dematerialize where possible and in this case, we did it like this. So we have the glass louver and it runs, sorry, the inside face of the sill to this glass louver window. And then for a height of about 500 millimeters, we go vertical. But as we turn the corner from vertical to horizontal below this 4.7 meter wide element, we thought, let's curve this. Let's have a convex curve, quarter circle, going, turning the corner. And when light hits that surface, it feels softer. It dematerializes. It doesn't look as apparent as it would if it were a proper 90 degree corner. And then it travels for two and a half meters and it hits another corner. Remember I said detailing is all about how we turn the corner. In this case, it's all the same material. So it's curved one corner and now we're getting above the doors and we thought, let's curve again. Let's have a concave profile that carves into the space above the door, the doors. So a C, a C profile, a half circle that runs the full length. And it is a more elegant, softer corner than would have been the case if we just turned 90 degrees. And then as a last statement, we've got this little bit of solid timber to the last portion of this ceiling. And that solid piece of timber is the top of in this case, a pleated insect screen that covers the opening when all the doors are open. And then we've got the glass sliding doors. So we go from louver down half a meter, turn on a curve, travel for two and a half meters, turn on a half circle and come back with this solid timber point like a bird's beak or a foot, abstracted foot or shoe toe profile. And the End result reminds me almost of like this flare, this, this just do it Nike symbol 
or what you might see on a degustation meal, designer meal where there's limited food on the plate, a lot of white space, but a flair for the sauce that's come with the dish. Or in the case of my signature, I have a signature where the M, the C, the L, and the K, and the E, they all look relatively same, and then the last part of the E really flares off. So you've got this highlight window where the ceiling rakes up to meet it, and then it comes down and curves in different corners as this last statement to the room to add this softer edge to have no 90 degree corners in this element, this ceiling element. And it was a really special discovery that came about as a result of the design input from consultants. It's like, okay, we know we need to do this. How do we maintain this design idea? What is the design idea? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna review this issue against the overall vision? We're not going to give up and say it's all a disaster. Let's see this as an opportunity. And we did. And that was during the tender documentation. All of these components came during the documentation that was the tender stage. All right, so that's it. That's the ceiling profile to the combined kitchen, dining, living space, or in fact, the last portion of it, which sits over the living room space relating to a highlight window and a portion of ceiling. We spoke about what it was, what the client vision was, and what it did, what the design response was, and how that all came about as a design focus during the tender documentation stage with input from other design team members. All right, that's it for this episode. Again, thank you all so much for listening. If you thought this episode was useful, please do share it with friends, family, colleagues, consultants, clients, neighbors, whoever. It really helps. You can subscribe to the show. That also would be useful. Until next time, you've been listening to What Is and What Could Be with Michael Clark Architect.